Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. True Hauntings is a Frightfully Good production. The Highgate vampire was a media sensation surrounding reports of supposed supernatural activity at Highgate Cemetery in London in the 1970s. This sensational claim was sparked when several people came out saying that they had witnessed a dark, malevolent shape sliding and slithering along the outside walls of the cemetery whilst they were passing by. This was even more disturbing for these witnesses as they lived around the cemetery in houses on all sides and the witnesses all lived in close proximity to the site. Why, though, did this story get so much media coverage? Of course, it would have been a sensational front-page story, but this would just not die, just like the vampire that was its subject. Tombs were found disturbed. People went into the cemetery carrying huge crosses and wooden stakes, and the search for the vampire did not abate easily. But is the vampire of Highgate Cemetery a real thing? This story will suck you in, literally. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And for this episode, you may need to surround yourself with garlic and silver as we dive deeply into the supernatural weirdness of the vampire of Highgate Cemetery. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Welcome in. Oh, Renata, that was corny. I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) Oh, and didn't we open up a can of worms? Boomtish <laughs> when we started this story. I thought this was going to be so easy. It drained I, the life out of it, me. Boomtish. It did. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was one of those things where and 
as I said to you, this came to me as I was driving home in the car from doing another episode. It just popped into and your head. I went, oh, this might be a good story. And then I started researching this and I went, oh, my God. Yeah. And I actually said to you, you said, can we do it? And I went, well, that means we've done three UK stories in a row. We can't do that. And then she said, please, please, please. And I had a look at it and went, Oh, my God. But I didn't realise, because we had a very quick turnaround for this one, and mm-hmm. we were hoping to do one that was um, lighter mm-hmm. to, to to dig into. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, no, this is probably right up there with Amityville mm-hmm. for the amount of research that's gone mm-hmm. into it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, the rabbit hole is not a fair description on this one. Uh, maybe an elephant's tunnel <laughs> into the uh, centre of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this just, yeah. It's a, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> doubting we're going to get through this in one episode because between us, we have 30 pages of notes. Yes. So I'm hoping that what Renata presents allows me to cross a hell of a lot off my list mm-hmm. because uh, otherwise we may be here for four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what our listeners love. They love to hear us digging in more deeply than anyone else has to find the juicy bits of information about a story. Yeah. Oh, and look, we have to give a shout out to Melissa from Canada who sent us the most gorgeous gorgeous gift in the mail to match up with our Robert doll. Now, as some of you know, we do um, doll stories occasionally on True Hauntings, and we've done Robert the doll. If you haven't heard that one, go back and have a listen. And we've also done Annabelle. And she has sent us an Annabelle doll. Oh, my God. She has created this with her very own hands. She has crocheted it from top to toe. She has dressed the doll, everything. It looks absolutely beautiful. And we will have a picture of it on our True Hauntings um, podcast fans page uh, on the interwebs. And you can have a look at it there. And she's also added a little demon. I know. He's this little tiny black creature with little red burning eyes and red wings and a black tail with a red tip on the end. He is divine. He is. Oh, he's going to be our mascot. We need a good name for him. We'll put a photo up and let us know a good name for Mm. him because he is just, well, it's a he. As far as I'm concerned, it's a he. Um, He is just divine. Mm, Yes. Oh, and we've got something exciting coming up too. Mm Mm-hmm. We're off to Lochinvar House for the weekend, and it is sold out. We've got an overnight adventure into uh, a very historical house at Lochinvar, which has reported ghost stories. So it's not just this place looks spooky, let's stay there the mm-hmm. night. Yeah. It has reported ghost stories, and we've had experiences that we cannot explain as well. But we also did an episode with uh, the Butsman uh, on his, um, what's what's he call it? The... Um, I always forget. Uh, Devil's, Devil's Advocate. Advocate. Devil's so Advocate. have a look at that. That's a ghost hunt we did with uh, Isaac and Claire. And I think Zach was involved in that one too. Uh, you can find that on... Not, not the Zach you're thinking of. Not not Zach Bagans. No, 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 no. 
<laughs> a different sack. Different sack. But we could have we could have played along with that, Renata. People would have gone and listened to it thinking, oh, my God, they did an episode with Zach oh, Bacon's. I, I, see, I just wanted to clarify that uh, just in case. Anyway, look up the Isaac Butterfield uh, um, YouTube and you'll find it there. And also we have another new uh, video out ourselves, not as exciting as Isaac's, but it is Stiglitz. And this is a, an old mining town which is virtually... Uh, a ghost town. I think, what was it? There, was, I said 16 people, but it was only like nine people or or less that live there now. Uh, and it's an old gold mining town. And we were taken out there by Deb Robinson of Twisted History. And I did get her name wrong on, on the video. I'm sorry, Deb. But Twisted History uh, run ghost tours out there. So check that out on YouTube. Anne and Renata, frightfully good. You'll find us over there. But right now... We need to get on with the show. Glancing towards the north gate, Farrant thought he discerned a movement inside. That night the moon was nearly full, but despite for this the path, framed by inky black trees on both sides, was visible only for a distance of around ten yards. As Farrant peered through the bars, scrutinising the interplay of shadows, branches and tombstones, he became aware of a humanoid shape, around seven feet in height, which was seemingly materialising in the centre of the path. Transfixed, Farrant watched as it moved closer, stopping some three yards in front of him. By now, afforded a much clearer view of the figure, Farrant struggled to reconcile logical thought with what hovered before him. Any suspicion that it could have been human origin was soon annulled when the surrounding area turned icy cold. At this moment, Farrant describes becoming aware of two faint points of light suspended in the region of what now appeared to be a face with no other discernible features. As Farrant recalls, the whole situation seemed unreal, like some unwanted dream. But with determined effort, I tore my gaze away, realising that the entity was malevolent and that I had come under psychic attack. And here we are at the very beginning. Yeah, and look, thank you for that soundscape, Renata. That was um, really good. That was from Haunted Highgate by Della Farrant. Yes. We always like to try and acknowledge where we get our stuff from. Mm, I found that very interesting. There are a mm. couple of books associated with the um, Highgate vampire story that seem to be very interesting. And uh, we might go along and collect some of those along the way. Yeah. But we have done Highgate Cemetery uh, in one of our podcasts. And we have also been twice. I've been once. Oh, well, I've been twice. Sorry. Yes, that was your <laughs> other travel buddy. <laughs> When you were unfaithful to me. Yeah, no, I know. no that, was, that was 
B-A before Anne. <laughs> before Anne, yes. Um, and Highgate is one of those places that was absolutely on my bucket list to go and see um, because I've heard about it for such a long time mm. and um, I'm a bit of a taffophile. I do like a cemetery or two mm-hmm. and um, I find that cemeteries give you such a great uh, insight to the history of a place. Yeah, and I loved it when I went and just wandering through and seeing those um, headstones like packed in so close together with mm. vines growing over them and then the crazy ones that are in there like grand pianos made of marble and mm-hmm. it's wow wow mm-hmm. and then you kept saying to me oh this is not the good side it's the other side we want to get to but we couldn't get into the other no, side No, the other side is um it's kind of ticketed yes you can only get in on certain days yes and that's we, where we the, weren't allowed in that's where the good shit is <laughs> as but, you'll all find out <laughs> yeah just a little brief brief background to highgate um and as all old cities go, um, burying the dead was a big issue, especially when uh, the population grew at such a massive rate as it did in London. Everyone was coming into London, obviously, because they wanted to find work and they wanted to not starve to death, which they were doing out in the um, areas outside of the big cities on the farming lands. Uh, they were all starving, so they were coming in um, to try and um, survive. So in the 19, oh, sorry, in the 1830s and around the 1830s, the population had literally doubled and tripled. And the problem was that the graveyards were packed and there was a hard problem with disposing of corpses because people were still dying in the mm-hmm. cities. And so they were burying them in shallow graves in burial grounds that were already packed and often they were also quick liming the bodies in plots so that they could dispose of the bodies as quickly as possible so the plots could be reused mm-hmm. now the stench of this was growing all over the city because these these uh, sites were everywhere and in between them there would be taverns and shops and people living so it was not out in the wilderness no. or out at the edge of the cities yeah. the cities grew around these sites yeah uh, and so this became a real problem and so between 1833 and 1841 there was a legislation that was passed um, and it created the london cemetery company and the london cemetery company decided to create a park-like cemetery or a number of park-like cemeteries that would encircle London. Now, they call it the Magnificent Seven, and these would then free up space uh, for the people that were living in London and try and improve the sanitation of the city because, you know, everyone was getting very, very sick. So there were 17 hectares that were put aside Uh, in the Ashurst estate and that was a wooden hillside back then at that stage and it was just above Highgate Village. Now that formed the basis for Highgate Cemetery uh, and the cemetery was open for business, I love that, open for business on the 20th of May 1839 and its first Burial was of Elizabeth Jackson, and that occurred within the first few days after the cemetery opened. Now, when we think of the 1800s, we think of the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. 
and it was very, very fashionable to spend time with the dead. Yes. So you had the whole spiritualist movement that was going on and this idea of the dead being able to speak to us yep. um, if we called upon them. Plus there was this whole sort of thing that evolved with burials and funerals and, and it became... Oh, and there was the viewing yeah. so you could go and see the, the people could come and visit the mm-hmm. the person in the parlour of the person's home. Yes. And, um, so, so yeah. many businesses um, made for fortunes on people dying Mm. yeah everyone from uh, printers who would print uh, the cards to invite people to funerals and whatever um, to those that were making the dresses for the women that were becoming widows and they all thought of ways of extending the types of profit that they could make Mm -hmm. so cemeteries were one of those things that had to really fend for themselves and you couldn't just go and be buried in a cemetery for free you had to pay and so the more more money you had the better it was the better the view you got from the plot that's right and and Highgate Cemetery was one of those places where if you could possibly be buried, then you wanted to be buried in Highgate Cemetery. And you wanted to be buried lavishly. Absolutely. So it wasn't just a plot with a headstone. It'd be a very grand headstone or beyond that. Mm-hmm. So there were architects that were employed to make Highgate very distinctive and there would have been, you know, the grand entrances and the walkways and it was very much a park-like feeling uh, and very, very fashionable. And so come the weekend, uh, women and men would don their best clothing and, Black and clothing, promenade, no promenade through the uh, cemetery and look at the distinctive burial sites, Mm. the tombstones. It's almost like an art exhibition. And uh, all of that. And, of course, the the greater your uh, tombstone could be, the more people would stop and admire it. Just like today, the bigger it is, the more people stop and admire it. Mm -hmm. So there were families who chose to purchase vaults Um, in the terrace catacombs uh, and they uh, made up of 55 family vaults and the catacombs could hold 825 people and in the 1830s the going rate for a fair-sized plot was three pounds. Well, you think of that now and you think that's not a lot, but comparatively to the wages back then, that was a lot of money. Absolutely. So the the cemetery holds 170,000 people interred in 53,000 graves now, it was really popular and profitable, and in 1856, the East Cemetery was open. Um, Karl Marx is probably one of the most notable uh, headstones there, mm-hmm. and he at one stage had to be moved uh, because of bomb attacks and uh, defacing. I thought you said vomit attacks. No, I'm thinking, why are bomb, people vomiting on bomb, his grave? Bomb attacks and defacing, <laughs> and uh, now he's back in a prom- more prominent position. I wonder if they just moved the headstone and not the body. Oh, most probably, yeah. But we have the east side, which is sort of all over the place and totally full as. Chock-a-block, as we like to say. And then we have the west side, and in between there is a road. Yeah, I remember driving up that road. Yep. And parking and then going through the main gates. Yeah. 
And below the road is a tunnel. <gasps> a tunnel? That transports oh. <laughs> that transports the coffins or used to transport the coffins from one side to the other ah. without disturbing the roadway or the people that live above. Yeah, and they also said it was so that the bodies stayed on consecrated ground. Yes. They never left consecrated ground. Isn't that Incredible. So apparently the road wasn't consecrated, but if you were under the road, you were fine. Mm, absolutely. I don't know how that works, <laughs> well, but anyway. Either, but yeah, there you go. There you go. Now, of course, we had world wars in between um, and, uh, you know, lots, lots of things happened, which meant that people no longer had time to go and visit their dead. Mm-hmm. There were too many dying. And there was too much happening, especially in England. Um, we in Australia were still very far away from the world wars. Our men went off to the war. Um, in London and in England, it was right above them. Yeah. So the last thing to think about was the cemetery. And so in time, the cemetery became very overgrown and people stopped coming uh the headstones really got buried under the vines and the trees and you that can were still see some of the that. sites yeah and so by the 1960s it became a place that people feared to tread mm-hmm. Because it was kind of in the middle of a central living district, people used to use a cemetery as a way to cross through from one side to another. And we found that in Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Yes. When we stayed in Sheffield, the cemetery is huge. Yep. And there are pathways and shortcuts that people take to go home and go to work. And so it was with Highgate Cemetery as well. The problem was that it turned from the ladies and gentlemen that would promenade through and be very, you know, mindful and do the right thing to attracting occult enthusiasts and yeah. the weird and wonderful yeah. by the 1960s. Because we, we've got um, a different uh, religions starting to emerge, uh, Wicca and... Um, uh, the occultists with black magic mm-hmm. and Crowley and mm-hmm. and all of that starting to pop up and of course it's an abandoned place yeah. and it's very spooky. Yeah, and drug deals started to occur yep. and there were ladies of the night that were walking through mm. and uh, so very very merry many nefarious things were going on Ooh, and if, yes. there, there certainly were places to hide. Yes, there. wait till you get to oh. what well, I've got to tell you. Yes, so the place Place really attracted, um, you know, people like um, the the Goths and the occult people and the Satanists and other weird groups, uh, and it became something that wasn't um, a pleasant place. They also did a lot of vandalism back then, so coffins were opened. There were skeletons that were scattered around. Oh, how could people do that? They were looting for jewelry and things that may have been left on the bodies, I yeah. believe. Now they. Um, Headstones were broken, um, coffins were uncovered, and the place was an absolute mess. And then the next thing that happened was that there was a uh, film company in London called Hammer Movies, Mm -hmm. and they were... 
they used to do horror movies. Yep. Yeah, Hammer horror movies. Oh, great quality ones too, from my readings. (laughs) But (laughs) Highgate was the place to add to your movie set. It was... So there was a movie company called Hammer Horror, or sorry, Hammer Movie Company that uh, was uh, in London at the time, and they would use Highgate Cemetery as their backdrops Mm. for many movies, especially surrounding Dracula. Yeah, Dracula. Because, again, it became high fashion to have these horror movies that depicted vampires. Yeah, yeah. And so they did uh, their first movie in 1969 called The Taste, Taste the Blood of Dracula. And oh, that sounded like something completely different. <laughs> I apologise. That was me sort of smacking my lips together in pure joy, which mm. didn't sound real good. Um, but actually, the first sighting of something a little bit weird happened just a few years earlier in 1963 in Swains Lane. Um, and that is the street that kind of crosses between East and West yeah. and Highgate Cemetery. And this happened at the cemetery's north gate. Now, there was a young couple that were walking along, possibly, or maybe doing something else. I don't know. They said they were walking they along, were said, Renata. Don't right, doubt they them. They were walking along, and in the throes of the walk, uh, they saw a figure floating near the gateway. Now, they say that its face was not human and that it had two red eyes that glared out at them. And the woman screamed and the figure disappeared. Now, with the sightings, I found that this was a story that seemed to repeat itself. Whoever laid eyes upon this horrendous beast would scream and the figure would automatically disappear. So it wouldn't hang around. I also uh, read on a couple of those um, uh, reports that when the car's headlights hit the shadow, it disappeared. Mm. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Now, later the same year, there was a female dog walker um, or a female who was walking her dog. Either way, you want to view it. And uh, she noted that the dog stopped stock still at one point and she looked up to see what the dog was looking at and she noticed a dark figure that was sliding down the wall of the cemetery. Again, she screamed and the figure disappeared. Now, there was also a pair of female students from the local La Saint Union convent who went in, because again, you would get kids that would be daring each other to go in mm-hmm. at night time and oh, visit the cemetery. We'd be daring each other, I'm we sure. Would be. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be much of a dare, though. Do you want to go in? I dare you. Okay, let's go. <laughs> and they said they described graves opening up and bodies rising in the North Gate area. Oh, I think they oh. might have been smoking willy weed. <laughs> Now, the girls again screamed and the figures disappeared. Surprise! Now, all of them said that when they noted the apparitions, they would become very weak of body as if the life blood was being sucked out of them as they saw this apparition in front of them. 
Yeah. Yes, and they were also transfixed and couldn't move. It's like somebody had frozen them in place. Right. Now, we get to the main people of this story. Oh, yes. Sean Manchester and David Farrant. Now, these guys didn't know each other, but they were very much interested in the same thing. It was like two bits of London meeting and kind of working out that they're both interested in the same thing. Now, when they heard of these stories, or when when Farrant heard of these stories, he went exploring himself into the cemetery, and he had something very, very similar occur to him. And so he got in touch with the local newspaper, the Hampstead and Highgate Expression, and asked whether... Expression? Expression. Oh. Whether anyone else had had something similar happen to them. Oh, and here we go. It had piqued his interest. And all of a sudden there was a flood of people that got in contact with the newspaper and said, well... Funny you should mention funny that. Funny you should mention that because <laughs> I was walking along a couple of years ago and so on and so forth and this happened to me and that happened to me and they all kind of said exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. This dark figure that seemed to slide and slither around the area. It was spooky as all hell. They would scream in terror and the figure would disappear. Mm. And it all would happen around the same area, that north gate, yeah. that north gate area um, of the east side. And so he being a bit of an occultist. Now, he was young at that stage. He was just a student. But he was uh, examining the beliefs of Wicca. So this is David Farrant. This is David yep. Farrant. And he kind of thought that there might be something a little bit more going on there, that this might be something to do with a vampire. Yes, a vampire. A vampire. And so he wanted to actually speak to someone who had actually seen this. So he went and uh, tried to dig out some interviews with some of these people and get into the story a little bit deeper. Now, meanwhile, there's another fellow, Sean Manchester, on the other side oh, of London. Oh, he's a righteous man, that one. Oh, yes. Oh, I enjoyed reading about him. (laughs) Who was really fired up by this story that was being, you know, um, slowly meted out by Farrant. And he thought he also had a bit of a, a view on what was going on. He also thought that this could be some sort of a vampiric entity because of these descriptions that these people were saying how the lifeblood seemed to be drawn out of them and some of them were appearing with a few scratches and things little little marks mm-hmm. on them that mm-hmm. kind of seemed a little bit strange but really fitted well with the story or could be made to fit the story <laughs> yeah. and he himself then went to the Hampstead and Highgate Express and on uh, the 27th of February 1970, he said that he believed through his research that a king vampire of the undead had been uh, unleashed. Now, this was some sort of medieval nobleman, nobleman who had been practicing black magic in medieval Wallachia, 
Oh, no, 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 Wallachia. We've got Wallachia in, in Australia yeah, as Western well. Yeah, Western Sydney. Mm. We used to run um, little weekends and yeah. things out there, and there's been lots of physical mediums out there spitting up stuff. It's great. Now, apparently this nobleman had to, upon his death, leave his home country, but, of course, the coffin had to be filled with dirt. Yes. Yes. And he was brought back to England, and sometime in the 18th century... They brought his coffin into Highgate Cemetery and by the darkness of the dark night, they buried him somewhere there. And because people had been practising black magic in the 1960s at Highgate Cemetery, someone had unleashed the power of the (gasps) undead. Oh, no. And now this man, this half-dead, half-living undead... Uncorrupted Prince of of Darkness. Darkness. Is he one of our European stiffs that we're going to visit? (laughs) Uh, Was now the haunting ground of this spirit. Or the feeding ground, maybe. Yes, maybe. (laughs) Now, he also claimed that modern Satanists had roused him, whoever. Someone had roused him, of course. um, And that he needed to go out there and uh, do something about it. So both of these guys had a bit of a fisticuff. Who was going to get out there first? And who was going to um, sort out this vampire character? But did you know that they were working together first and were both on the same page? Were they? They were. Jeez, mm. when did they? I? I reckon that finished once Farrant went out without Manchester. Well, we will see because I tell you, it's a bit cray cray. Right. So Manchester also went out um, searching for um, contacts and uh, talking to people who had had these sort of experiences with the Highgate vampire, and he did contact um, a young lady who was one of the two convent girls who saw now. This. Look, hang on. Is this? I think you're crossing over into my no, no, territory just, here. No, I'm just going to explain. Okay. I'm just going okay. to explain who she saw. Her name was Elizabeth Voidua, and she uh, was telling people that because of what she had experienced um, those couple of years beforehand, she was uh, cursed with uh, not being able to sleep and nightmares and um, seeing some sort of animalistic creature outside of her window. Right. So he tried to... Um, was this Lucia? Yes. She yeah. tried to clear... He tried... Manchester tried to clear her off. Um, but you're going to tell that bit of the story, aren't you? Well, you just did. So there you no, go. No, no. No, no, there's a description. There's a description. I have got so I've got twenty pages of description. There's a description, so I'm not going to go into that. No, no, no. Now Manchester declared to the press that he was going to hold an official vampire hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on the fifteenth of oh sorry, the thirteenth. Friday the thirteenth of March. Oh Lord. (laughs) Uh, and this just this created an absolute like crazy ass. Yep. Mass hysteria, hysteria of yep. ghost yep. hunters, yep. and um, everyone bombarded Highgate Cemetery uh, when they heard that this was happening. They went over the fences, over the walls. The police were struggling into the locked cemetery. Police were trying to get out there. There were 
other rival vampire hunters that were out there. Yep. They were all trying to outdo each other. They were all trying to summon the spirit of Count Dracula. <laughs> there were magic blood um, ceremonies going in. With I would have loved to have been oh, there. Oh, God. I wanted, I wanted to be there with my GoPro and see all of that. <laughs> there, was, there was a history teacher whose name was, was Alan Blood. <laughs> there was a local resident, Anthony Robinson, who... He not, the, had, not the speaker. No, he <laughs> insisted that he heard high-pitched noises and saw a grey shape. Um, and um, this went on and on. Now, there were also times when Farrant would go out to the cemetery with his... Um, his medium, big, his psychic. Big cross mm-hmm. and his stake, mm-hmm. not meat stake, but a wooden stake. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, the newspapers were there every single time. They were lapping it up and they were feeding this frenzy. They were feeding this frenzy, absolutely. I like what they um, summarised. One of the books I was reading called Written in Blood, um, they summarised them and called them the high-end ham. And I thought, well, that's probably about right, you know. They were probably yeah. all as high as kites because yeah. they're 60s, they're all smoking weed. And uh, ham, yeah, well, there's a bit of that going on too. Yeah. <laughs> now, this kind of all, and I'm not going to say very much more other than you know i wanted to get to this thing of this this night when everyone just went ballistic and headed to the grave sites um on the friday the 13th and and tried to raise the dead and then kill them and then kill them (laughs) yes um but farrant and manchester started to get into trouble with the police because they were causing issues and this is definitely my story yeah they were really causing issues so they would go into the cemetery at night people would follow them obviously everyone had cameras these were being reported continuously. Yep. And the Friends of Highgate Cemetery had just had enough of this. Yep. There was too much going on and there was a lot of desecration and vandalism going on at the same time as well. Yep. So they tried to drag these guys into um, the court system. And I have all that information. Yeah. So I might actually just finish there. I think that's a good idea because I'm starting to feel a little threatened yeah. that and, you're treading in my territory. And <laughs> let you go with the rest of the story. Now, at this point in time, we're just I'm feeding you the backstory, yeah. the stuff that's going on. The big issue still here is, is there a vampire? Yeah. What are people chasing? And I'm going to give you some more information on that and about the characters involved and their background and um, maybe some motivation for all of this. But uh, This is when we sink our teeth into this really deeply. Let's go down that elephant hole. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Um, I sort of struggled to know where to start with this um, mm. because you had said that you were going to sort of cover the, the background and coming up with it all and um, what happened sort of thing. And then I had to dig down into the two main characters. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm actually going to pick it up um, where they went to the cemetery over the weekend, uh, the 28th of uh, Feb to the 1st of March. So that's one night, isn't it? Um and the two of them went there together mm-hmm. to have a look around the cemetery. Uh, their encounter, of course, being recorded for posterity's sake um, with a reporter from the High and Ham. Funny about that, huh? So the two men did spend some time there. Um, Farrant pointed out the spot to Manchester where he saw the apparition on the night. And both men felt the, the presence of dead foxes. Now, that's actually important because... Um, there has been some appearances of uh, phantom figures and these dead foxes around. Um, they they seem to have a spate of foxes dying with no explanation as to why these foxes had died. I'm pretty sure I've got a good idea why <laughs> yeah. the foxes died. If Fo- foxes aren't something that's loved in the cities at all. No. 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 So I reckon that people were baiting them. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure it's a vampire instead. Mm. Uh, so that even the Hampstead and Highgate Express got back onto it again and uh, was published an article called Why Do the Foxes Die? Mm. So they seem to be stirring up a lot of... Um, interest in the location, shall we? Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where uh, David Farrant said in the interview that he seemed to be in agreement with Manchester on his theories, but also um, he said, much remains unexplained, but I have recently learned all points to the vampire theory as being the most likely answer. Of course. So he's agreeing with him. Mm. They're best buddies at this stage. Should this be so, I for one am prepared to pursue it, taking whatever means might be necessary so that we can all rest. Now, at this stage, I want to point out that he was raised in a... um, a spiritualist family. Uh, he has pagan background. Mm-hmm. He actually was um, uh, accepted into the Church of Wicca, mm-hmm. uh, became Wiccan. So he has been studying this and he is also passionate about it. So he mm-hmm. he has, uh, as we like to call it, um, what's the word? Biases mm-hmm. on his beliefs and how he is raised. Now, he's young at this stage. He's very too. young. He's yeah. only about 18 or 19. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't have a lot of life experience and he would be newly Wiccan. So he's at that also that stage of manhood where they know everything at that age mm-hmm. and everyone else is dumb. Mm-hmm. Love you, Alex. <laughs> Not picking on you at all. <laughs> I I have uh, I had a teenage son there at one stage. He's grown up to a fine young man now. Um, uh, yeah, he's, sorry, Sarah. <laughs> That's his wife. <laughs> Let me get back to the story. So. This is when we have the incidents then. The reports start coming in. People report what's happened to them after these things have popped up in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And they all seem to have this, you know, a, a, a tall figure with burning eyes mm-hmm. and all that sort of things that are, are allegedly vanish in headlights. Mm. 
Hmm, funny about that. Shadows mm. disappear in light as well, don't they? Mm. Oops. And they move as cars drive past because the perspective of where the light is hitting the gravestone changes. Oh, yeah, yes. no. Oh, no. It's, it's not no, that. No, let's, let, we're no, going, no, no, no. You're going there no, too I'm soon. I'm sorry. I'm too soon, too, too soon. soon. Peak too soon. We're looking for an, a vampire. Let's right, stay so, with that. All right. So at, at this stage... Um, David Farrant is also harping on about black magic, that there's black magic practitioners in there. And um, he starts to receive threatening letters all signed in blood. Oh, does he? <gasps> he does, from unidentified persons demanding the further investigation and publicity in and around the cemetery should cease immediately. Um, and then his reply to this was, there was little doubt that these letters were from genuine Satanists. Um for one thing, the secret magical signs that adorned the letters could only have been known to people with a great deal of knowledge in the magical arts, like himself, mm-hmm. obviously. Now, I just want you to remember death threat letters for a little bit later into my story. Okay. okay. Now, this, I think, is where the rift starts to occur between the best buddies, the bros. Right? There is a small fruit... Frum... F- film, f- film, film. <laughs> oh, let me put my teeth back in. Film crew, mm-hmm. uh, Thames Television, that wanted to do a story on the Today program, uh, and both Farrant and Manchester were contacted to take part, and oh. they were had their interviews taken. And then mm-hmm. there's the television reporter Sandra Harris um, went and had a look around the tour and to see where the the vampire was haunting out the place, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, apparently, they had them doing some reenactments as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. I need to see this footage. Uh, and of course, the film crew found a lovely Victorian era coffin lying broken and discarded on one of the paths with the lid removed, exposing a skeleton inside. That would make great footage. Um, and this is now David Farrant appears on the camera describing his own encounter. It was certainly, it certainly wasn't human. Um, I did feel the evil. I actually saw its face and it looked like it had been dead for a long time. But then, of course, Manchester has to come in and have his little talk. So he said, this is the belief of the British occult society. Uh-huh. Now, this is where I started to get confused because I read somewhere that Farrant was part of some sort of yes. British occult, but there was two. <clears throat> yes. They both started up their own yes. societies and mm-hmm. the names were very similar. One was the British Occult Society and the other one was British Psychic and Occult Society. Oh. So Farrant had the psychic aspect because of his spiritualism. Mm-hmm. And of course, Manchester was just the Occult Society. But isn't he, like, wasn't he some sort of a bishop or something? Oh, hang on, get into that. Don't you ruin my story. I'll get the daggers out. I'm going to set the vampire on you. (laughs) (laughs) So this is where Manchester kept pushing his thing about the vampire responsible for the ghostly sightings, for the animal deaths. It all sort of fit into it. Uh, And he said that an exorcism was the only way to remove the undead menace from the society. Uh, Now, this is where they said, what did you think of Farrant's activities in the the cemetery. So oh. Manchester replied saying, he goes against our explicit wish for his own safety. He does not possess sufficient knowledge to exorcise successfully something as powerful or evil as this king vampire. Uh-huh. 
and may well fall victim as a result. So on TV, he is saying, oh, that other fella, he doesn't know as much as me. Yes. My dog's bigger than your dog. Here we go. Here we go. Two cocks fighting it out. (laughs) I was going to say cockheads, but yeah. Um, Now, interestingly, at the end of that filming session, one of the cameramen collapsed. Oh. They were setting up for a shot, and he suddenly clutched his throat (gasps) and collapsed and had to be taken off to a hospital. So wouldn't the boys love that? That that just played straight into their hands. It did. It did. So uh, it appeared... Now, this is where we have the the rampage going through the cemetery because Mm -hmm. that appeared on Friday the 13th, 6 o'clock... and they mention Farrant by name and his intention to visit the cemetery again armed with a wooden stake and a crucifix with the aim of exercising the spirit. And then they mentioned Manchester, um, his opposition to the plans. Uh, we also issue a similar warning to anyone with these likewise intentions, Manchester stated, but neither he nor Thames Television nor the editor of the Ham and High could have predicted what a watershed moment the short news <laughs> item would eventually prove to Let's be. Let's go, everyone in London says. So all of a sudden it became an official vampire hunt. And yep. as you said, they were all in there. Um, apparently something similar happened in the uh, Borley Rectory as well. But, um, all Right, let me get over to this one over here. Um, so this is where now all the other ones are coming on board. And we have Alan Blood. Alan Blood. What a great name for a yep. vampire hunter. Yep. 25-year-old school teacher, travelled over 40 miles to get to the, the ghost hunt or the, the mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um uh, he said that he was a, a vampire expert and that's why he had come down. God. How do you get to be a vampire oh, expert? You just have to claim it, apparently, <laughs> just like some of these people that claim they're exorcists. Just mm. say it. Um, I've taken an interest in the black arts since since boyhood, but I'm by no means an expert on vampires. But then he's claimed he was a vampire expert. I don't know. <laughs> All, right. All right. So let's, let's go to six months after yes, right. This is after the Friday the thirteenth. So we've now got a couple of fifteen-year-old uh, schoolgirls working through walking through the cemetery. I think you mentioned them, and yes. these are the ones that thought they saw things levitating out of the ground, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I reckon they're on the willy weed as well. Uh, and oh, they, they they identified Manchester said that he identified something of a necromantic ritual going on necro necro did I get it right yes necro I thought it was saying something about romantic there <laughs> oh it is actually Nick romantic <laughs> uh, so this is on the seventh of August now um, so Manchester's trying to really put his name on it now um, and he's talking about the power of the Highgate vampire the evil one whose disciples planned to spread the cult of the undead in the hope of corrupting the world now at this stage Farrant had been trying to distance himself from Manchester because of all the stuff that went down on the Friday the 13th but he actually agreed with him that it seems to be some sort of satanic activity mm-hmm. um, being the root of all the, the problems up there. So we were on the 7th of August. Now we go to the 17th of August, so not much longer. Farrant 
was now arrested attempting to leave the West Cemetery of Highgate by the police, uh, being charged with being in an enclosed area for an unlawful purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, we will come back to the results of these trials. Mm-hmm. Um, he was interrupted carrying out a seance in the company of a psychic medium with the intention of making contact with the cemetery entity and establishing its purpose. <sighs> there were supposed to be candles, incense and casting circles. So it's very mm. pagan, Wiccan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sort of thing going on there. And he's near the um, the crypts. Yeah. Then we go to the 28th of August. Guess who's back? Manchester. Manchester has now taken upon himself to cleanse the cemetery <laughs> of supernatural activity with a service of an exorcism. Another one. Oh, a secret ritual at Highgate Cemetery by members of the British Occult Society has, they say, exorcised the evil powers invoked with a tomb when a tomb was desecrated. Se- seven crucifixes, four white candles and four cups of holy water from a Catholic church were used in this 15-minute <laughs> ceremony by four men and a woman who met on that August afternoon near the entrance of the vault. Oh. Were they naked? Well, no, but there was there was a really funny thing. Funny you should say that. I'll come back to that later. Right. Um, there, apparently, um, Manchester was speaking in Greek, Latin, Hebrew, English. Let's face it, we've got to cover all the languages just in case. Um, and he was wearing... Oh, where was it? They said what he was wearing and I cracked up and said, oh, here it is. Um, Mr. Sean Manchester, who was pictured wearing a nosegay of laurel leaves and holding a crucifix. <laughs> It's like fashion awards. I can see Mr. Manchester. He's he's donning a white sheet with a nosegay. Oh, God. All right. So, um, and this is where he also has another stab. Um, At it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's actually it like. The the vampire now has taken third place. It's uh, like no, yeah. get down the line, Satan or vampire, whoever you are. Nowhere in Prince the arena the anymore. Um, so when they asked him about Farrant's activities, he said he was lucky the police got to him. Had it been with the Satanists first, I feel that we would not have heard more of him. Mm. So he's saying, you know, he wouldn't have coped with it, whereas mm-hmm. he, of course, does. Anyway, so this is where Farrant's case went to court. All right, so he's been caught um, uh, with the, the cross and the wooden stake, mm-hmm. and they thought he was vandalising coffins in the process because I think what he was doing was going through and stabbing various corpses <laughs> with the wooden stake. Oh, my God. Yes, I did read about that. <laughs> are nutters. You wait until I tell you some of the other stuff. That's why I'm thinking we're almost at an hour. I don't know. Anyway, let me just keep pushing on. Um, He was, uh, sorry, allegedly found it was caught vampire hunting uh, read out in court uh, at midnight I went with the cross and the state to St Michael's Churchyard to look for the vampire had the police not arrived when they did my intention was to make my way to the catacombs to search for it I would have entered the catacombs and inspected the coffins in my search and upon finding the supernatural being I would have driven my stake through its heart mm. now interestingly enough this was all denied by Farrant um, so he's just... He he's kind of, just it, well, this is what was read out as his statement, but now he's denying it. He said the wooden stake was actually used to mark out circles in the ground for these magic circles. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no! 
Carter, did you just swear? Anyway, this was really interesting because the magic magistrate dismissed the whole thing mm-hmm. and said, um, "It's uh, it's like in." Uh, Hang on, I've got to get the words right. Pursuing a hobby of vampire hunting, as others would spend vast sums of money trying to locate the Loch Ness monster. Mm-hmm. I but, did, yep. but if he's just desecrating graves and sticking wooden stakes through, thing that's that's a completely different thing. Yeah, there was also an issue um, in one of the things that I read that said that uh, he was sent to court because allegedly he was. Um, in a space that was um, covered, like a covered space that right. he wasn't supposed to be in. Right. Um, and the technicality was that the sex, the cemetery is yeah. actually an open space, not yeah. an enclosed space. Well, the, I, I sort of skipped over all that because yeah. I, I, I've just oh, time is such an issue. Yeah. We. Oh, sorry to cut you off there, Renata. Um, but he he said that when he came out of court, that I won't rest until I catch this vampire. So he's still going to keep at it. He doesn't really care. Um, now, they this is where they go on to the reconstruct. But there was another thing that he was arrested for as well. Sorry, I have to keep pausing and going through my notes to find what I need to find out. Um, so then before we get to the next arrest, he was then um, uh, there on the 21st of June. Uh, he was going to carry out one of the most dangerous magical rituals in existence. Um, so he'd sort of drawn out all these magical symbols on the ground and started to summon this being into the world. And apparently some sort of hazy shape started to appear at which stage one of the female members screamed collapsed and um he you know thought oh well she's possessed i have to now do a rite of banishment and banish this being and um so at this stage the the highgate cemetery people have had enough mm-hmm. right they're, they're saying will you stop doing this keep out because the rituals the publicity the court case have attracted to highgate all kinds of undesirables and disrupt the tranquility of the tombs and good on them because that's absolutely insane but less than three months later they're back 7th of October we're getting close to Halloween apparently they have a hell of a time in there on Halloween Mm. the police trying to keep people out Uh, Farrant again uh, don't worry I I seem to be picking on Farrant the other one's time is coming Oh, he's a doozy. Oh, he's Manchester. a doozy. You've got he's, no idea. Oh, oh, yes. But I've got to get through all of this this sort <laughs> yep. of the story of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was detained by police again, being on cemetery grounds because uh, he was returning to perform an occult ritual. But this time he decided that he would use sex magic oh. oh, in order to control the internal and external psychic forces, uh, utilising subconscious sexual energy. Uh, he was released without charge, but several photographs taken by Ferrant at the time, two of which showed a naked assistant, <laughs> Martine de Sassé. <laughs> no. Would cause him some problems later oh, on. no. <laughs> But then they actually did find a man who was fatally injured and bleeding to death amongst the graves. This is the police found them, right? Mm -hmm. His name was Peter James Clement, and he was a mental patient, uh, a former antique dealer who had absconded from the Priory Hospital in South London, where he was being treated for depression. Um, Now, apparently he had multiple stab wounds to his throat and chest and died a week later in Whittingham Hospital. So before he died, as he was dying, he confessed to the policeman 
that he had taken he had tried to commit suicide oh, and geez. succeeded. But the problem with that is the man had several stab wounds in his back. Yeah. How oh. how, how do you stab do yourself that. in the back? Yes, how do you do that? So but of course Sean Manchester is going, Oh, it's Satan. He's it's sorry, the Prince of Vampires, he's back, King of Vampires, no less. Uh and it's all the satanic coffins and devil worships, it's all starting to add up. Um and he just thought that this was absolute evidence that, mm-hmm. you know, he's mm-hmm. out, he's the the vampire's out. Um all right, so now we get on to a little bit more about the um, things that were going down in there. October 72, uh, we're on to Farrant's assistant, Victoria Jervis, arrested while attempting to summon a ghost in the churchyard of St. Mary. So it's sort of spilling out everywhere. Um, this is a great one. Avenue Road, Crouch End, House of Dracula, mm-hmm. um, semi-derelict house, Farrant and a naked acolyte. 24-year-old Barnett uh, labourer John Pope. Oh. Oh. Oh, we're discovered during a police raid inside a magical circle drawn on a floor in an upstairs room. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying nothing. Uh, The presence of a ritual plate of hot coals and named Farrant and Pope, uh, who later changed his name, Deepole, to Pope de Locksley, claiming ancestry to Robin Hood. (laughs) They were charged with arson. Because oh, they had oh, a plate up there with some coal, charcoal hot, on it. Or, uh, yeah, hot coals. Hot coal. They could have burnt the place down. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're going on to the 14th of January. A 160-year-old uh, corpse partially mummified missing its head and part of one leg had been found by a local architect propped up in the driver's seat of his car. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> which had been la- left parked and unattended in Swains Lane. Oh. Um, now, Farrett was arrested. And uh, taken to the police station uh, on vandalism and desecration of several vaults inside the cemetery. Uh, But I don't think they really had much evidence on him. No. But there was somebody had been sending threatening voodoo effigies to London police detectives. um, And they think that it was Farrant that was doing that. Now, remember before Farrant said he was receiving death threats? Yes. Well... Um, Farrant himself admitted sending the sinister dolls. So he did do that. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, this is now really defaming his character. This is really, it's horrible, right? Uh, he was acquitted of the body in the car charged, but he was then found guilty of vandalism. Uh, and he ended up with four years and eight months in prison. So this is the first fully-fledged witchcraft trial to return to English courts after several centuries. Yep. Uh, all the ingredients relating to Satanism and black magic. There's, sorry, there is uh, Farrant's reflected in his memoir, Out of the Shadows, published in 2011. It's so this is now. Yeah, but this is all still fairly recent. Yes, it is. But um, nude orgies invoking the devil. Oh, it's all still sitting in there. And I've got to give a shout out at this stage to this amazing book where I have got a lot of the information from. It's called Written in Blood, A Cultural History of the British Vampire by Paul Adams. Do yourselves a favour, guys. If you're into vampires, get this book and read it. Um, He's really thought things through and it's... He's done his research. He's, yeah, bloody good stuff. Right, now, where do I go from here? 
Okay, so remember the schoolgirls? Yes. We're going back to the schoolgirls now. Girls. Now they're aged 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them, now you did mention something about her. Um, she was now living with her boyfriend, a uh, Scotsman named Keith McLean. I'm sure he's very happy about having his name plastered everywhere. Um, and, oh, hang on. I don't think they were living together. I think he visited regularly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But she was a lovely Polish girl. Yes, yes. Oh. Uh, so she started saying that she she was having nightmares. Um, there was a sinister presence of a man with the expression of an animal. Um, Manchester describes... Now, um, Renata, this is up to you. Uh, W-O-J-D-Y-L-A. How do you say that? That's that's her last name. Anyway. Wojdyła. Thank you. <laughs> You're the Polish lady here. I've just got a Polish last name. Um, as looking highly pale and unwell, and this time in sucks. She was looking unwell at the time. Sorry, I'm talking so fast because I've got so much to get through. I'm tripping over myself. She'd become prone to sleepwalking on one occasion being discovered at night by her boyfriend standing in a trance-like state outside the top of Highgate Cemetery. So she's starting to head back Mm -hmm. to where she had her fright when she was 15, Mm -hmm. um, as well as suffering from somnambulism, can't sleep, and uh, anemia. Mm -hmm. The young girl also displayed two bite-like marks on the side of her neck. Mm -hmm. And there is a photograph of this, apparently. I'll come back to the photographs later. Uh, so th- there was a book written by Peter Underwood who um, tells all of these stories. Yes, yes. Now, yep. But the problem with Peter Underwood is that he has taken his text from Manchester, mm-hmm. all his writings, mm-hmm. like it's gospel truth. Mm-hmm. So he has many biases with oh. regard to this. And he's an author. Yes, and we know about that. Uh, so there apparently also um, Elizabeth... Uh, woke up one morning crying out and they found specks of fresh blood on her pillow. Oh, dear. She's had visitations. Oh, now they're convinced that it's a vampire. All right, so, of course, Manchester's in there and said that um have to put uh, a silver cross and linen wrapper of salt around her neck versus from the Bible placed under her pillow and the bedroom window was to be sealed with a crucifix reinforced with garlic flowers. Mm-hmm. There you go. That there's, sounds straight out of a movie, doesn't it? the garlic and silver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then, of course, she returned to normal health. But we will come back to her. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming back to sort all of this stuff, eh? It just You're leaving all, me hanging. all ties in together. It's just crazy. Uh, now that we have another lady um, who, like Elizabeth, was displaying similar problems... Uh, and the sinister seal of Dracula pin park pin pin prick marks on the side of a neck. Another sleepwalking episode, supposedly witnessed by Man- Manchester and the girl's sister, ended inside Highgate Cemetery. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and she called herself Lu- Lucia. Um, or mm-hmm. Louisa. I'm not sure if I typed that wrong. Lucia. Uh, she didn't want her real name to be used. Yeah, that's that's the Lucy that um, Dracula falls oh, in love with. Oh, yes. Oh, funny about that, isn't it? Mm. When was the Dracula book written? <laughs> 
Not in 1970. Okay. <laughs> no, prior to that, yes. Yes, oh dear. Uh, so there, they have more photos of that as well. Um, and then he goes on to describe even more events of things happening. Uh, he does write about it in his book, The Highgate Vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I need to skip over some of this because it's just, it goes on and on and we're never going to get through it. Although there is one more little bit I've just got to quickly say, is that this Lucia took Manchester to where she um, ended up in the catacombs and apparently he's rapied down into a hole where he found three empty coffins. So he very quickly cleansed them with a combination of holy water, salt and a metal cross. Mm -hmm. So he's doing some Indiana Jones stuff now. Um, he must be, I don't know how old he is by now, but it's, uh, yeah, he's certainly agile, isn't he? Um, so they go on to talk about the inner circle of tombs to which the vampire hunters are given access, prizing open the heaven iron door inside, lying an unmarked coffin. So this is description in the Highgate Vampire. Um, the very back of the vault was the body, appeared to be neither dead nor alive, having the appearance of newly buried corpse. Um, and yeah, so he, he did what he had to do and then bricked up the place and added garlic into the builder's cement. <laughs> Good on ya. This, this is seriously it's, Hollywood. It's awesome. It's just awful. Look, I, I think I need to get onto the the background now of Manchester because we've sort of given you a, a bit of a hint as to what's going on. There is so much more to talk about, mm-hmm. um, but I I did I can't find the little bit here in the my notes where it says that the first girl Elizabeth, the Polish girl, mm-hmm. um, had died not long afterwards from leukemia. Oh bless! Oh poor thing. But that explains her anemia yeah, and um, everything else that was going on. But yeah. of course, no, it was the vampires. This is where um, we have to be careful of what we say to people because uh, I wonder if she stopped getting treatment because it was a vampire and not an illness, treatable illness, or not treatable, treatable. But there yeah. are ways to deal with it. Yeah. And that worries me. It really worries me. But let me tell you about Sean Manchester. Oh, boy, what a character he is. So we, we now know about the other fellow, Farrant, mm-hmm. and uh, his exploits. But Sean Manchester, now I'm getting some of this from Wiki. So we all know that's a reliable source. Mm-hmm. But there, there is references everywhere yeah, in there. Yeah, there are to, newspaper yep, articles. And he did radio <laughs> yeah, and yeah, TV yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So he is a self-proclaimed exorcist. Yes. For starters, that's just for starters, um, he claims that he is a skilled vampire hunter and holds the title of Bishop of the Old Catholic Church. Yes, and he dresses like that as well. Mm. He claims he's personally tracked a vampire to its lair where he witnessed it transform into a giant spider, mm-hmm. which he bravely killed by pounding a stake through its heart and setting it afire with gasoline. So sadly, there is no evidence of it left, I'm sure. Right now, he started. <laughs> I tried not to laugh. Oh. I tried for a few seconds. Oh. Um, right, so there, there is no evidence that he is a member of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. He calls it the old, old, old yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, but he claims the title of bishop, whereas Farrant claims the title of occultist and right. a priest of Wicca. So mm-hmm. we're we're against each other there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And of course, we've got Manchester who founded the British Occult Society and Farrant launched the British Psychic and Occult Society. Uh, then you've got them uh, publicly challenging. I've still got to get on to Manchester. I don't want to rehash stuff. Right. So he he not only had a feud with David mm-hmm. Farrant, he pretty much feuded with everyone. If there was anyone that went against anything he said, he would be threatening them with uh, lawsuits, Mm -hmm. defamation of character. Um, The photos that he produced as evidence usually had a green tinted or Photoshop distorted picture of the victim and claims that the person is undoubtedly influenced by Farrant or Satan. Oh, right. So he started to lump Farrant into the same thing. So, um, in relation to being the bishop, he said, I'm not a vicar, I'm a priest and a bishop, I'm a Catholic. So, the Roman Catholic Church denies anything with him being a um, a, a bishop, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he also claims not just to be a member, but the UK primate, primate, well, yeah, probably would, of the British Old Catholic Church. Is there such a thing? I don't know. I, like he made three complaints against UK regulators, um, two against radio stations uh, because they didn't call him His Grace. Oh gosh! Uh, there was a third complaint against um, a TV show that uh, had it was called 1970s Weirdos. <laughs> Uh, and he said that uh, they had no right to call him that. <laughs> I love their reply. They said, Bishop Manchester has not de- denied that he had in the past carried out an exorcism. He was published describing the traditional method of dispatching a vampire as being to drive a stake through its heart before beheading it and incinerating its remains. Bishop Manchester had himself claimed in his own book to have violently dispatched the Highgate vampire by tracking it down, kicking the lid off the coffin, driving a stake through the creature's heart, and burning the remains. So if we of the Oxcom, it was called, Ofcoms, um, that, which is, hang on. So if we follow Ofcom's decisions, which his grace has elsewhere encouraged us to do, there is no doubt that he is a bishop and a weirdo. Mm. So the old Roman Catholic Church in Great Britain uh, is an independent Catholic church claiming descent from Arnold Harris Matthew in 1910. Yeah, 1910. 1910. So there's something they've made up because they didn't like the idea of something else and so, yeah, they've created their and, own. And his, the theology is ultrajectine. Ultrajectine. Right. I, I have no idea. Uh, that'll be something to look now, at. Now, um, apparently his books are actually quite a good read uh, from what I've seen and there seems to be... Um, uh, somebody who likes to leave great comments. Now, where did I find that? Uh, it's they're by the name of Veritas. Leaves glowing reviews on all of his books, uh, and has then this same person has actually gone to other vampire-related books and leave one-star reviews. Oh, oh funny about that. Um, now, just remember Veritas. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote an article for the Fatian Times, and I tried to find it, couldn't find it, posting on the Latin name. Exorcistate. All right. 
Mm-hmm. Do we feel a little bit of a thing? I'm not saying that it's no, the same person, no. but there is a little bit of a... There's a, there's a little maybe. bit of a connection, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to quickly skip down to here. Um, there is one last thing I want to finish with uh, on uh, this gentleman. <laughs> a man named Kevin Chesham published photos of a room in Manchester's house, which he described as a massed amount of Nazi paraphernalia, framed photographs of goose-stepping Nazis and German officers giving the Hitler salute, Schwartz stickers on the wall, and most strikingly, a photograph of Adolf Hitler in pride of place. So, Mr. Manchester. It was called the Nazi room, which I thought was an interesting thing. (laughs) And Manchester, of course, didn't like that. He said, how dare you? That's just my historical military collection hobby. You've misrepresented me, and there'll be a lawsuit, I'm sure. Wow. Well, you know, he just may have liked the uniforms, you know. The, I the, bet he the did. Uniforms. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, get, I'm not getting no, involved we're in not that getting conversation. Involved. No. Now, I've, I've sort of presented the two characters involved. Right. That just shines light on the whole subject. Yeah. I think actually out of the two of them, Farrant was more saner than yeah. Manchester. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. But it's almost like they've got the the vampire books and just you know made it their story. But they were outdoing each other and yep. my cross my stake is bigger than your stake. Yep. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. Now the thing is that none of this has finished because as I found just literally a day ago, there is a society dedicated to yes. the vampire of Highgate. Yes, and you've tried to join it. We have. <laughs> I haven't been accepted. But look, that is this a true vampire haunting, Renata? And absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely not. Hell no. This is two egotistical um, people who are trying to make a name for themselves. One was trying to make himself an, a renowned occultist, mm-hmm. and the other one was trying to make himself into uh, an occultist vampire slayer exor- exorcist. Bishop. Bishop. Yes. It's ego. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this drove um, to the desecration of a highly historic cemetery. Yep. The police being called out when they could be doing other things. Yeah. Um, a mass hysteria. Yep. Um, and possibly lives being lost in this whole thing. Yep. Um, certainly families um, having hysteria within them uh, and issues happening Uh, young children being influenced um, by these two people uh, and the newspapers must have thought that it was like Christmas every single day and I'm just going to finish with this Barry Edwards 24 year old male 24 year old male clerk from Peckham claims that he's been mistaken for the Highgate vampire because they were making an amateur cine film suitably entitled Vampires at Night inside the Westgate Cemetery for his Hellfire Film Club. So he has said, guys, it was me. I've dressed up and run around the place because we were filming and you've misunderstood. And of course, do you know what they've all said? Oh, bullshit. Of course not. You don't know what you're talking about. So, um... Definitely not a true haunting. But what a story. What a story. Thank you, Renata. That was a really good choice. I'm sorry we've gone on so long. I hope you've enjoyed it. Let us know you've enjoyed this episode. And um, 
you know what to do share it around let other people know about it make sure that you have subscribed to all our social media we've got youtube anna renata frightfully good we've got tiktok we've got instagram we've got facebook we've got it all come join us be part of our family we love you all we'll see you on the dark side and remember stay spooky bye Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com.